It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. This is Frontline Friday with my usual guest, Bridget Gleason, Vice President of Corporate Sales at Sumo Logic. Bridget, how are you this morning? I am doing great, Andy. How are you? Good, good. I, I managed to escape the snowmageddon in New York and out here in San Diego. Sorry, I can have a little bit better, better weather to speak with you today. I know. Well, take advantage of it. I, I know that you go back and forth, so you probably are not going to totally miss snowmageddon on the no, East no, Coast. No, it, it was... It was beautiful. Respite. It was beautiful when it happened. I mean, it was a little windy, but I was just looking at the city because from our windows, so we, we see a good chunk of Manhattan, and mm. it, uh, yeah, it was it was quite impressive storm. So, well, anyway, today I thought you know we spent so much time in the past episodes. Uh, we've talked about sales development reps and the role of sales development, where it's going in 2016. So I thought today we'd focus on account execs. Great. Seems like everybody's always focused on sales development reps. So let's talk about account execs and really their role in the the process, overall sales process. And you know, we'll talk about what you look for when you hire, what the job description looks like. You know, how do you how do you correlate the expertise you're looking for, looking for relative to what the customers need, and so on. So let's sort of start at the beginning. Is is how do you divide your sales process? What's your handover point between your sales development reps to your account execs? So ours. I'll talk about what ours is right now at Sumo Logic, and then I'll talk about where we're going. Sure. So, right now at Sumo Logic, we've got the SDRs for the field, the field team, and we're just now introducing them for the corporate team. So that would be for Sumo Logic, that's SMB and mid market. Um. And, and the reason for that is at Sumo Logic, we started really primarily as a field org with a lot of big sales, a lot of big displacements, and found that we've got huge opportunity in the SMB and corporate space, mm-hmm. SMB and mid-market space, rather. And so we've been able to get along just fine. We have a super strong product with the reps sort of doing their own prospecting and haven't seen the need as much for the SDR function, and that has radically changed. Part of it is, as we've talked about, it's just harder and harder to get that first meeting. Um, there's a lot that you need to know about a, con- a, a prospect, how they're connected, lots of different ways in. So we're now introducing, we're introducing um, SDRs to the to SMB and mid-market space because the time that it takes and the amount of time that our account executives were spending on prospecting was disproportionate Mm -hmm. to the amount of time that they were actually running sales cycles and closing. And where that really got, I mean, it got us in a lot of places, but sort of one of the things you mentioned early on in the opening of this is, you know, profiles, what you look for and the skill set, et cetera. We found that we would have a skill set mismatch when we needed a lot of really like an SDR type responsibilities and activities 
And that was a large part of the job function when we really don't want it to be such a large job part of the job function. So we saw issues all kind of throughout the process by not having good specialization and, and really dividing up those functions of the kind of the SDR and prospecting function and then the account executive running the deal and closing functions. Yeah, and I would, I would think that your, what you were seeing over time is your account execs became yeah, a little bit call reluctant in some of the prospecting because, you know, they really wanted to focus on this other and, and uh, yeah, maybe they just weren't making as many prospecting calls as they should. Well, and some of it is not making as many prospecting calls as they should. You know, I didn't actually, for us, I didn't have as much of a problem with that. Um, we have a, a really motivated team, um, but they were frustrated by it because they were doing, you know, 70 to 80% of their time doing essentially an SDR role and very little time uh, of, the, of an account executive function. And that's not what they came to Sumo Logic to do. And the other, the other area where we found where this really came to uh, create more problems is we have a, a technical sale and selling to developers and CIOs and CTOs. The, the, the account executives also need a lot of at-bats and experience Talking, talking to real prospects, not just getting in the door. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it slowed down their ability to ramp as quickly as we would like them to. Right. So we really saw the lack of specialization in this or our, our slowness to adopt it. Um, it. It just had a lot, it had ripple effect kind of all throughout that just slowed everything down too much, more so than we would like, would have liked. Yeah, and if I were, if I were one of your account execs in the... <laughs> small biz and mid cap uh space i would have been envious of the of the, the account execs in the larger space that were getting that sdr support oh believe me oh believe me <laughs> yes indeed there's a lot of that well i want to go be a field rep and exactly. and um we're again it's great that we're now introducing that function and you know in other in other companies you know engine yard yesware we always had the the SDR function, both for not as much for SMB because that typically gets a lot of inbound, but we definitely had for mid market and uh, enterprise. Mm-hmm. So I, I I I have a good sense of what what we want to get here, and for us, we're still at Sumo Logic. We're still working to generate more and more inbound. So as our marketing team is ramping, this outbound function is super important for our SDRs. So for Sumo Logic, the outbound team that I have, and I, or the SDR team that I have, and I'd love to talk, just get your uh, thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. They're going to be spending really the majority of their time on outbound efforts. I'm going to have the the account executives still handle the inbound. We don't get enough of it right now that it's it's burdensome. Over time, I can see us having an inbound and outbound SDR teams. But right now, we're going to let the account executives handle the inbound because those tend to be pretty well qualified uh, yes. at Sumologic. Yeah, and I think that that 
it seems like if you get more inbound, then yeah, you're going to have an opportunity maybe to have a specialized SDR team for that. That right. you would want to have people that are probably, you know, one step away from being ready to be account execs. You know, they're on that path. But you, to me, at least, you definitely want those inbounds, as you said, since they tend to be a little more self-qualified, a little more highly qualified, perhaps, in a relative sense, is you want to have good people working them because you want to be able to get them through that process more quickly. So here's a question for you, Andy. I was uh, talking to someone yesterday about their SDR teams, and here's the progression path that they have at their company. So you come in entry level as an inbound SDR, then you move to an outbound SDR, and then you move to an account executive. And I thought that was interesting because I, I've, off, I've also seen it the other way. You start as an outbound, then you go to inbound, and then you go to an account executive. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I would do the latter. I mean, I think that if you have people coming in on an inbound, that, yeah, in a relative sense, they're going to be more qualified. You know, part of that self-qualification, the fact they're picking up the phone or sending in a specific request. And by an inbound lead, I'm talking about either someone that's gone through your lead scoring process or somebody that specifically has asked to be able to speak to sales. And if that's the case, then I, to me, they're teed up. And I want to have somebody with the right amount of experience that can move them more quickly through their buying process, which is what the goal you'd hope you'd be able to do, than to have somebody that's you know less experienced and take longer. Because to me, the worst alignment and misalignment you can get is inbound lead, that has pre-educated themselves, that has a predisposition to want to move forward, and you have the wrong person talking to them that takes too much time, inserts too much time into the selling process, can't answer their questions up front, and they end up going to the competition. Yeah, I would agree with you. That's what that's why I thought that other progression path was was interesting. I, I hadn't heard it that way before, but I do try to keep an open mind and think about, okay, well, what might be the potential benefits of doing it that way? I don't know what they, I don't know what they are. I tend to agree with you that I would, if it's inbound, that's going to require, in my opinion, more, more sales savvy to be able to, to get that account, to get that prospect to the next level than someone just trying to get a first meeting. Yeah. And I put it into the context for people are listening and think about this making this decision about which type of rep should you have more experience, less experience is when you get an inbound lead, what your job is, is to take that lead off the market. And by that, I mean, make it unavailable to your competitors. That should be your goal. And so in order to do that, well, how do you do that? Well, you engage them in a great sales process early on, right? You ask the right questions, you build your trust and credibility quickly by having the information that helps them move through their buying process more quickly. And if you can do that, then yeah, you eliminate their temptation to go speak to anybody else. You know, that's why responsiveness and timeliness is so important in those first interactions. Eliminate their temptation, eliminate their need to go speak to other competitors. Andy, I like that phrase, take the lead off the market. That should be your goal. Take yep. it off the market. That's that's exactly right. You want to hook them in enough that they are at least emotionally sort of invested. Gosh, this sounds like the right decision. And then they just go and collect data to justify that decision that they've sort of mentally made, even if they're not aware of it yet. No, absolutely. I mean, people don't want to spend more time in their buying process than they absolutely have to, right? It's a, it's a check mark on their to-do list. When something's in your to-do list, what do you want to do? 
get it off your to-do list. Make it easy for them to do that. Yeah, it's, I, I tell my reps this also. When they hear objections from prospects, oftentimes the prospect isn't throwing the objection up because they're seriously looking at other alternatives. What they're looking for is, can you make this, can you, can you take this off my to-do list? Validate, confirm that this is the right decision for me. Just help yes. me feel good about this. And so every question that they ask or objection that they put up is an opportunity to give them the peace of mind they're looking for. I'm making a good decision here. I'm making a good decision here. Because that's really what they're asking. Am I making the right decision? Well, or even one step before that, is this a decision I can make? And so, you know, with all the studies that have come out recently, I think the most recent one from SBI was that 60 plus roughly 60% of the opportunities in a pipeline forecasted never close, right? Go to a no decision. So as I like to say to people is that think about the buying process as sort of two steps. And the first step is what I call the decision step, where the customer is going to make a decision whether or not they're going to buy something. The second step is they're going to make a choice about who to buy it from. So you have to get to that past that decision step first. I think that's interesting. 60%, I, I wrote that down, 60% of pipeline goes to no decision. Wow. Yeah. I've seen other studies, it was 50%. So assuming that there's, there's credibility in that, right? I mean, I think that the worst thing that you can do as a sales rep is have a deal go to no decision. I mean, I know people think about the other I, way. Well, at least we didn't lose it. I disagree. And I'm like, I like are you kidding you know, you've just invested all this time and we didn't get them off square one. I agree with you, Andy. I, I think maybe is the worst. No decision is the worst. If it's a no, then you know what to do next. The no decision, the limbo, that's, that's the time killer for salespeople. So I agree with you. I, I would push for decision. No decision yeah. is, is, is the worst. Well, it means we didn't do a good enough job of even convincing them at the basic level that there's a reason they should move forward. You know, we didn't, we didn't communicate anything about the value of what it is we're selling sufficiently so that they could make a decision that, yeah, this was even worthwhile for them to pursue. It wasn't better than the alternative of what they have, which is sticking with the status quo. Or even, even that we've given them enough information and gone through the process that they make the decision. It's not, there's not enough value in me moving forward. Yes. Well, that, that's an affirmative decision, too. And that's what yeah. people, I think, don't understand is that the decision on the part of the customer to do nothing is a decision, is a referendum on you and you're selling. Yeah. It is a decision. And they said, yeah, you basically, yeah, you didn't impress me enough, you know, in any dimension to say that this is better than what I'm sticking with right now. So it's not, you know, oftentimes most salespeople don't think, well, they didn't make a decision. They decided to do nothing. Well, yeah, not really. I mean, they made a, they made an actual decision. They evaluated their alternatives and you know, you just didn't rise to the level of making it worth their time. Right. Right. All right we're going to take a, we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back. We're going to keep talking about, well, we're talking sorry, about account execs. We'll come back and talk about account execs later. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a thousand companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. 
Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Attention, sales leaders. Would you like to give your sales team the tools to drive more quality connects, scale their outreach, and spend more time selling? Well, you can with LiveHive. Get your ROI. Try it now at livehive.com forward slash ROI. That's livehive, L-I-V-E-H-I-V-E dot com forward slash ROI. All right, welcome back. Frontline Friday with my guest, Bridget Gleason. We're talking about account execs. Uh, We've sort of gotten off track a little bit talking about inbound versus outbound sales development reps. We seem to keep gravitating back toward that that topic. So I was going to ask you a question. So about account execs, so what are you looking for when you hire in this role? I mean, what's what's the job description look like? You know, so for my team, so let's say an SMB and mid-market team, I look for I look for individuals that have had a couple of years of successful sales experience. And sometimes, Andy, this is hard to determine from a, a resume. And I say successful because I, I think you and I have talked about this, that it's possible to be have sold for five years and have first-year sales experience five years in a row. What I'm yes. looking for is someone who's had, let's say, three years of sales experience, but they've actually grown in each of those three years. So it's not three one-year stints of sales experience. They have to have grown and evolved. So it's going to, I look for progression because that indicates to me uh, a willingness and capability to learn, to evolve. Does that necessarily mean that they stayed at one company for three years and progressed in that environment? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. It's, it's, I'll tell you, it's, it's tricky with millennials because you, you look at the stats, they move around a lot more. They don't worry about going and spending a year and a half here. I, I, I worry if, there's too, if it's a too quick a hop because what, what that means for me is they're just as likely to do a hop here at Sumo Logic and then hop out. And the difficulty is you never get to that level of proficiency where they hit the the productivity that you need them to hit. Yeah, and that's why I'd ask the question. You know, if, if they've job, you know, in the course of three years, they've had two jobs or maybe even three before they come to you. Yeah, have they been able to get through the learning curve and achieve true proficiency? Yeah, and I'm I, it, it I, I wouldn't rule them out, but I um, interview them more carefully. So I look for, as I said, I look for some success. I always liked, I don't remember where I first heard the phrase that success leaves tracks. So looking for where they've been successful, whether it was in school, in another job, in a summer job, in an internship, having that drive to move forward. I do look for, Andy, stick-to-itiveness. So my concern about job hopping is 
that you won't stick through the potential ups and downs that you could have in a sales cycle, especially in a, in a technical sale. And our sales cycles are not, we're not transactional. They're not six months long, but they can be 30 days to 90 days. And for a millennial, that's a long time. So I need someone that has some stick to itiveness. I I'm a sucker for smart, and that doesn't mean just book smart, but also just um, a, a clever, resourceful, resilient, um, dedicated. I, I really look for all of those all of those things also. And then they've got to have a, a good team player. You know, they have to fit with the core values of what we look for here at Sumo Logic. So how do you, how, that, I mean, this is fascinating to me because, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're looking to recruit and your pool of potential candidates are, let's say, in the main, people that have never been anyplace more than a year and a half, how do you how do you assess that? I mean, I look at the success. I mean, somebody could... To me, always one of the hard parts about gauging track record of salespeople is that, gosh, they spent two years at one company, but that company was just on fire when they were there. And all they had to do was show up, pretty much. And they were going to sell a certain amount. And we've all seen that in, you know, in the past. We've recognized you know, people come from sort of these feeder companies that, uh, quite frankly, they didn't have to do a whole lot. You know, they didn't have to have to be resilient. They didn't see the ups and downs. It was always just sort of a rocket ship. So in those types of environments, how do you how do you evaluate this track record? How do you evaluate the the footprints, as you said, find the footprints that really measure their success as opposed to just being part of an organization that was just blowing it up? Yeah, I think about that a lot when I interview. I always look at the the company and is the company one of these where it just has that sort of reputation or you can, what has the growth been? If you can find that out, you can't always find that out. Um, but I think that's an important consideration is were they just in this machine where it was working and asking a lot of questions about what their day looked like? How, what did they do to get a deal? What was, what was the inbound? How long were the sales cycles? If you start digging in and what would you do here? What would your first 30 days look like? Giving them a um, sort of scenarios. How would you behave in this scenario? We have to dig in. It, we have to dig in a lot. I think it's hard. It, it's always been hard to interview salespeople, in my opinion, and really find and recruit the good ones. It's hard to tell. It's always been hard to tell because the situation you're describing about being caught up in this machine has been true since I started selling many, many years ago. I will not give the exact number. <laughs> but the but the other thing, I, I know that exact number should I, I say I know you do I know you do but the uh, the audience doesn't need to know I I won't say it because it's the same as my number so I know but you know the other thing that's interesting Andy that is is coming to be a reality and you know the CEO and I were talking about this uh, last night that given the millennials and the way they work and how long they stay and their propensity to move that's that's sort of a reality that we've got to adjust adjust to. I'm not going to change the way they behave and how they think about jobs and progression and a few months in that they 
they're ready to be promoted. So what that means for me is that it's going to be hard for me to get to that proficiency that I would expect, like when, when you and I first started, when you'd have three, four, five years on a job and you'd really get good at it. So my challenge, and I think the challenges for sales leaders uh, out there is I've got to create, I've got to create a machine and I've got to create a system that I'm not relying on. I've got to be able to rely on bees, be players and bees only in that they may not get to that level of proficiency. I just, I have to create a machine where, where I can be successful if they, if people never hit that peak, because it's hard, it's, it's getting harder and harder to plan for that. That's really a fascinating when you think about it. It's, and I mean, how often do you hear people say, I have to rely on the B players? But that's really true. I mean, if you're looking at, at an efficient process, an efficient system, and I can, I like drawing an analogy to, uh, to sports teams here. But if you look at the teams, let's say in professional football, that do well year after year after year after year, and let's take the New England Patriots as an example, you know, everybody hates Belichick and, you know, talks about it, but the fact is the man's brilliant, right? Because he's developed this system where the players, by and large, are sort of B players. Yeah, he's got a star in Brady and maybe a you know, superstar in Brady and maybe some, you know, lesser stars in a couple positions, but you know, pretty much you look at the running back position over the last 10 years, it's, you know, interchangeable parts, uh, the receivers by and large, interchangeable parts. I mean, he finds the people that, that aren't necessarily the superstars, but they fit into the process and the process works so well that as a whole, it generates success. I, and you and I've talked about this a bazillion times. I'm I'm such an avid reader, so I can't help but reference the most recent book I'm reading, which is Team of Teams by General McChristie. Mm-hmm. And he talks about this very point in today's, he's talking about he uh, for business as well as sales teams and, and the military, more important how we function as a team than relying on individual superstars. And that's what you're talking about with the New England Patriots. And it's what I believe is our challenge to build in a modern, functional, effective sales org, is you've got to have the machinery that doesn't require these superstar A players. And you've got to have something about this network and how the team works together. And we're at the end of our uh, fiscal year, and it's super exciting on the floor as some of these deals are coming in and everybody's getting behind it. There's, there's something about this, everybody is a team really coming together and helping one another. And I think it's this combination of being able to, to be effective and successful with less proficiency, and I say B players, not that they, only in that they may never stay long enough to to turn themselves into A's in this situation. So be in the situ, a, a B player in the situation, the good machinery to help make, create an environment of success, and then this, this teamwork and kind of the 
emotional mental aspect that I think people working together are more powerful than a bunch of individuals operating on their own. Oh yeah, no, I, I agree a hundred percent. And it's sort of interesting hearing your perspective on that because, you know, when you hear and you talk uh, about millennials, I, uh, on the day we're recording this, an episode that's being released is all about managing millennials with the guest Lee Carraher, who has written a book about it. But teamwork is really important for millennials, it's really part of a team effort. But what you're saying is that isn't enough at the end of the day to keep them around, though. I don't see any evidence that it is. It may be enough to keep them at a company, but they they want to keep progressing. They want to try different roles. They want to, it's, it's a challenge. It's going to be so interesting to see how this plays out three years from now, five years from now, and how we've, how we adapt to it. But it's challenging. It's challenging. Well, it'll be challenging for millennials, you know, three to five years from now, they're going to start having families and kids and, and relationships. And and already you're hearing about the generation coming after them who have now just starting to, to, to hit the marketplace. And some of these characteristics we talk about and recognize as uh, real beneficial with millennials and the flexibility and the team orientation and so on are even accentuated apparently in this genera- next generation coming through. So it'll be interesting to see how, how those generations begin to meld too. Uh, I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. I'm not ready to tackle that one quite yet. <laughs> but who okay. knows? We may have to sooner rather sooner oh, yeah. than I think. I mean, this is the next generation following them is, is absolutely the first true digital generation. And not just digital but the first true smartphone generation i mean it's 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 really uh, it's pretty fascinating to watch it is it the is. impact they have on the workforce so it is really interesting well good well that wraps it up for today uh great discussion about account execs inbound outbound sdrs a lot of good ground covered and as always thank you bridget for joining me and we'll look forward to talking to you next week awesome have a great week andy all right thank you talk to you soon Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com. Hi, this is Andy. I have a special offer for loyal listeners of Accelerate. It's a no-obligation free trial of my zero-time selling interactive online training. Now, I've worked with thousands of sales reps to teach them how to use my zero-time selling to boost their productivity and transform the results. And so if you want to learn the same proven strategies to help you open more doors, have more effective sales conversations with prospects, and close more orders, then my zero-time selling interactive training system is a fit for you. It's incredibly simple to start. Just take out your smartphone and text the word TRUST, that's T-R-U-S-T, to 96000. Now, do you have your phone ready? send a text to 96000. That's a nine and a six followed by three zeros. Now enter the single word message, trust, and hit send, and you hear right back from me with instructions on how to sign up for your free trial on my zero-time selling interactive training. I look forward to seeing you there.